Hi there, I'm Martin. It's my turn again to prepare the preach for this Sunday. And whether you're watching this in the morning, in the afternoon, or in the evening, whenever it is, I pray that, you know, God will bless you. Um, it's Amos, part, Amos 5, part 2 today, and the title is The Day of the Lord. I'm continuing on from where Stu left off last week on Amos 5, part 1, which was verses 1 to 13. Um, I'd like to pray just as we start. Dear Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your, your living word that is both ancient and full of power and living and relevant to us now. I pray that as I speak, your word will, your word will, will come and, and bring freedom to those who hear it. Amen. Yes, Jews' message last week was of, um, of God's coming wrath. Amos is delivering this message to the people of Israel and they are complacent and they've been involved in idolatry and injustice is rife throughout what's going on. And it's a pretty bleak message. Stu was sharing how one of, the, one of the problems there was that the rich were getting richer by oppressing the poor who were getting poorer. And at the end of the passage he, he read in, in verse 13, it says, for the times are evil. And my, my passage picks up pretty much straight from there. So I'm going to read it. From 14. Seek good, not evil, that you may live. Then the Lord God Almighty will be with you, just as you say he is. Hate evil, love good, maintain justice in the courts. Perhaps the Lord God Almighty will have mercy on the remnant of Joseph. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God, the Lord, the Lord God Almighty says. There will be wailing in all the streets and cries of anguish in every public square. The farmers will be summoned to weep and the mourners to wail. There will be wailing in all the vineyards, for I will pass through your midst, says the Lord. Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Why do you long for the day of the Lord? That day will be darkness, not light. It will be as though a man fled from a lion, only to meet a bear, as though he entered his house and rested his hand on the wall, only to have a snake bite him. Will not the day of the Lord be darkness, not light, pitch dark, without a ray of brightness? I hate, I despise your religious feasts. I cannot stand your assemblies. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. But let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never failing stream. Did you bring me sacrifices and offerings for 40 years in the desert, O house of Israel? You have lifted up the shrine of your king, the pedestal of your idols, the star of your God, which you made for yourselves 
Therefore, I will send you into exile beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is God Almighty. At the end of this, this chapter, chapter five, has a lot going on in it. And I'm going to focus on that section that's titled The Day of the Lord in my Bible. And to be completely honest, when I was reading this through and preparing, I, I didn't really know what that was. Um, I had some awareness that it was, it was a big momentous thing where God was returning and coming in power. But I'd never looked into it. But I knew enough to know and be shocked by the attitude of the people, the people of Israel in this passage. They, they were relaxed. Their complacency comes through. As Amos says, some people were even looking forward to the day of the Lord. And you've got to think that's, that's either a massive overconfidence in their own self-righteousness or, or they don't understand. I quite like Amos's pictures. I, I can see them as, as almost a, a cartoon of, of somebody escaping from a lion, turning corner and, and running into a bear because that's still terrible. And, or somebody getting home to the safety of the house, whew, leaning on the wall where a snake bites them. And you, I, I, you've got to think, could the day of the Lord really be that bad? So I thought I, it was necessary. I, I do a search, do some Internet search and do some research about what the day of the Lord was. And I found that the Bible Project have a, a video about the Day of the Lord. Now, if you're not aware of the Bible Project, I highly recommend you go and find them. It, online, there's a, a great series of videos and also there are podcasts that have been created to explain the Bible as a unified story of who Jesus is. And they've got right from Genesis all the way through the books of the Bible to, to the book of Revelation and they explain an overview in only a few minutes of what the book is about. It's a great place to start a Bible study. And they have these illustrations of what's going on that are really detailed. And it's being explained by these, by these guys who are so geeky about the Bible. It's amazing to listen to. They are sold out for Jesus and they love what's going on. And in their video of the day of the Lord, Amos actually gets a name check. So I thought it was relevant to bring it today. So that's going to come next. I hope you enjoy it. The day of the Lord. It's a phrase in the Bible that religious people use, usually when talking about the end of the world. Yeah, things like Armageddon or the apocalypse. You might be familiar with this image of Jesus returning on a white horse. He's got a sword to bring final judgment. And everyone wants to know, how will it all go down? So a lot of these images come from the last book of the Bible, but to understand them, you have to go back to the first book. When the story begins, we watch God create an amazing world, and then he gives humans power to rule over it on his behalf. But the humans are tempted by this mysterious, unhuman character who offers them a promise. You could define good and evil on your own terms and put yourselves in God's place. Which is what they do. And the resulting stories are about the broken relationships and violence that results. Yeah, this promise creates huge problems. Now everyone has to protect themselves and fight for survival, and they're all using death as this weapon to gain power. It all leads to a story about the building of the city of Babylon. Or in Hebrew, Babel. Everyone comes together to elevate themselves to the place of God. 
And God knows how devastating this could be, a whole culture redefining good and evil as if they are God. So God confuses their language and scatters them. Now from here on, Babylon becomes like an icon in the biblical story. It's an image that represents humanity's corporate rebellion against God. And the next time we see it is in the story of ancient Egypt. Yeah, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, he feels threatened by these immigrant Israelites. He starts killing all of the boys, enslaving the rest. And this is really evil. Yeah, Egypt's like this bigger, badder Babylon. They take care of themselves at the expense of others by redefining evil as good. And so God turns Pharaoh's evil back on him. His pride drives him forward and he's swallowed up by death. Now after this great deliverance, the Israelites sing a song about how God is their warrior who liberated them from evil. And the Israelites referred to this moment as the day. The day they were rescued from a corrupt human system. And every year since then, the Israelites have celebrated the day of their liberation with this symbolic meal of a sacrificial lamb that's called Passover. Eventually, Israel comes into its own land, have their own kings, and they face new enemies. So that past day of the Lord, celebrated every Passover, begins to generate hope that God will bring the day again to save Israel from new threats. Now, out in the hills, was a sheep herder named Amos. He was appointed by God as a prophet to announce shocking news to Israel, that God was bringing another day of the Lord against his enemies, and this time the target is Israel. What? Sadly, Israel's leaders had also redefined good and evil for themselves, resulting in corruption and violence. So God's people have become like Babylon, the oppressed become oppressors. Babylon seems like a trap no one can escape. And so the day of the Lord comes upon Israel. They're conquered, taken captive into exile. And from then on, Israel suffered under the rule of continuous oppressive empires. This is the story Jesus was born into. Yeah, in his day, the oppressive empire over Israel is Rome. So is Jesus gonna confront Rome, take him out? Well, no. Jesus saw the real enemy as that mysterious, unhuman evil. The evil that's lured Babylon, Egypt, Rome, Israel, all humanity has given in to evil's promise of power. This is what Jesus resisted alone in the wilderness when he was tempted to exploit his power for self-interest. But he didn't. And after that, he started to confront the effects of evil on others. Yeah, he started saying that he was going to Jerusalem for Passover for a final showdown to confront the evil of Israel and Rome by dying. Dying? I mean, that feels like losing. Jesus was going to let evil exhaust all of its power on him using its only real weapon, death. Jesus knew that God's love and life were even more powerful, that he could overcome evil by becoming the Passover lamb, giving his life in an act of love. And something changed that day. When Jesus defeated evil, he opened up a new way for anyone to escape from Babylon and discover this new kind of power, this new way of being human. Okay, so something changed. But the power of evil is still alive and well, and we keep building new versions of Babylon. Right, and so the last book of the Bible, the Revelation, points to the future and final day of the Lord. It's when God's kingdom comes to confront Babylon the Great, this image of all the corrupt nations of the world. Yeah, this is it, Armageddon, final judgment. How is Jesus gonna finish off evil? Well, that's not how you'd expect. In the Revelation, the victorious Jesus is symbolized by a sacrificial bloody lamb. And then when Jesus does arrive in the end, riding his white horse to confront evil, he's bloody before the battle even starts. Pre-bloodied? 
That's a strange image. Yeah, it's because Jesus isn't out for our blood. Rather, he overcame with his blood when he died for his enemies. And the sword is in his mouth. It's a symbol of Jesus' authority to define good and evil and hold us accountable when he brings final justice once and for all. And so, in the meantime, the day of the Lord is an invitation to resist the culture of Babylon. And it's a promise that God will one day free our world from corruption and bring about the new things that he has in store. Isn't that great? I do highly recommend you you go and find their website, you look them up on YouTube, the videos are all there, and you listen to some of their podcasts. It's it's a fantastic resource. So as, as explained there, Amos's audience, the people of Israel, would have celebrated the day. They would have remembered the Passover, that whole time in Egypt where they were oppressed and they were celebrating God releasing them, freeing them from that oppression, from from the enemy. But by here, they've missed the whole point of that. They've missed that this, this is freedom from oppression, freedom from death. By the sounds of it, it's, it's a festival that they were looking forward to. It was a party. Remember last week, Stuart made reference to this, that that the people of Israel were so focused on the religion of what was going on, they didn't look to God. It, It feels almost as if the day of the Lord had lost some of the warning that was coming behind it. There's a commentator I also found when I was looking into this, that the day of the Lord brings darkness. They said that that to the unrepentant, this darkness comes. And when God makes a day dark, all the world cannot make it light. You see, all of the worship and all of the service and all of the offerings, they weren't enough to spare those who were carrying out injustice and not repenting. Amos here takes time again and again to remind Israel, using God's own voice, that God hates, he despises, he cannot stand the feasts and the offerings and the songs because they're not out of a heart of the people who are focused on him. Remember how we were told last time that Their focus was drawn to these places where there was idol worship. Bethel and Gilgal and Beersheba. The people would travel, they'd go on this pilgrimage and there'd be these foreign and useless gods. And when we compare that to to the passage in Isaiah, in Isaiah 58, 6 and 7, where Isaiah describes true worship, It says, is not the kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked to clothe him and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. You see, without the action 
and the intent and the justice, the worship and service of Israel, the people, the chosen people of God, it was sending them into darkness, into exile and separation from God. You've got to see there's a pretty stark warning there for those people. But also, this is a message for us. How seriously are we taking these warnings? We, the leaders, we believe that Amos is a word from God for our church, our fellowship, if you're listening for you, at this time. So this warning that Amos brings is for us. It's a warning of how we approach God in our lives, in our daily lives, especially on every day apart from Sunday. Because those of us who recognise that he has reached out and he has brought us into, into that relationship with him, that he has offered us everything, his kingdom, his eternal kingdom forever is there. How do we respond? Do we use our God-given freedom, the freedom from oppression, the freedom from death, to share his message? Do we respond by caring for the needy when we see them? Do we respond by fighting injustice when we see it in the world? Because that is God's call in this message. Now, God wants us to worship in so many ways. He deserves it. And he wants us to offer the sacrifices to, to recognise that he gives us everything. And he wants us to feast together, to enjoy that. We've been through a series of looking at the feasts and the, and the fact that God wants us to feast together and, and live joyfully with one another. And all the while doing that, we should focus on him, that God must be the centre of it all. And then you look at the, the, the charge that Amos gives as the chapter closes in verse 24. Those iconic words, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never failing stream. Because God's justice will roll on. His righteousness will be like that never failing stream. Can you see it as this unstoppable force? Now, I remember singing for many years the, the song with, with these words in it. And it's always seemed lovely, this, this message and this imagery of a stream babbling as it travels along. However, in the context of this passage in Amos, I don't think that's what's being said here. Could it be saying that if our worship is, is not to God alone, if we're not showing obedience to his word, if we're not loving those he wants us to love, then the day of the Lord is coming. And that is an unstoppable force, as a river is, as a never failing body of rushing water. And we know, we are aware that there are so many amazing things going on around Woody, around our church. 
this isn't a message of condemnation for us. Jesus doesn't condemn. His love is amazing. As that Bible Project video explained, Jesus took the full wrath, took the condemnation, he took the death, the punishment, and he defeated it in God's love. And here we are, we have this, this privilege to be God's ambassadors, to enact his kingdom in our time here. And at Woody, we have our justice group. The life groups that are focused on justice have been running for, for years. And we have updates from them regularly. And they're a superb reminder that within our city, there are opportunities to act. Within our church, there are ways that we can act in God's love to see justice fulfilled. I urge you to, to talk to Tom and Anna about what they do, about what they believe, about what they know is going on, where we need to help. And if you'd like to know more about that, do get involved, do get in touch with us, and we can help you find that. Because as Stu ended with, and as I started with, the Amos passage says that the times are evil, but we believe God is good. God is the ultimate good all the time. The message is, is one of love, it's one of warning to act in love. I'm gonna to pray to close. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that there is no condemnation in Jesus. That your message of, of love is one that we can seek and we can rejoice in and we can worship you. However, Lord God, we are aware that you are Lord God Almighty, all-powerful that you are pure and that your standard is one of such, such great importance, such heights, that we will never reach it by ourselves alone. We need to come to you through Jesus. And when we do that, when we, when we serve you through Jesus, those, those acts of, of love, of justice, of caring for the oppressed, that's so important. Lord God, guide us. Guide us as individuals. Guide us as a church to, to uphold what you urge us to in this passage. To fight injustice. To stand up for the needy. To do away with complacency. To get rid of the idols in our lives. And Holy Spirit, I pray that if, if there's anything that we need to be convicted of, then you will do that in our lives. That by your grace and your mercy, we will meet you and we will know how to get right with you. To come in confession and, and repentance before you. And live a joyful life, knowing that we are in your presence freely. 
Thank you, Lord God, for your goodness, for this message. Thank you that we can trust you. Amen. Thank you for joining me wherever you are, whatever you're doing. I pray that God will bless you and hopefully you'll be able to catch up with us on the next part of Amos soon. God bless you.